Well, I want to ask you to turn today in the book of Acts, chapter 1, as we look at verses 8 through 11. As we heard about the cross two weeks ago and then the resurrection last Sunday, I thought that we would take a look at the ascension of Christ, and we don't really have a great emphasis on holy days or the church calendar in the Presbyterian church. We do tend to emphasize Christmas and Easter, but that's about it. Um, you know, the ascension of Christ does follow uh, 40 days after the resurrection. And it's a significant event that we should think about from time to time. So that's what we're going to look at today. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 8, the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples, uh, he said, but, when, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And thus ends the the reading of the word of God. Uh, let us pray. Father, we ask that you open our eyes, and teach us, instruct us uh, in the meaning and application of this word. And we know, Lord, that your word is living and active. It is powerful. <clears throat> and we pray that the Holy Spirit will make it so today in each of our lives. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Forty days after the resurrection, during that period, off and on, Jesus taught his disciples further about the kingdom of God. Part of that teaching, instruction, was the giving of the Great Commission. The Great Commission, according to Acts uh, 1.8, is there. And um, we do hear a lot of sermons about the death and resurrection of Jesus, but not many on the ascension. But it's not because there's, there's no mention or little mention of the ascension. Uh, in Scripture, it's at the end of, of Luke's Gospel, it's at the beginning of the book of Acts. Uh, Jesus references it often. He, he speaks of being taken up. John 6.62, he said, What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? You see, Jesus, to come and, and be born of the Virgin and come into this world, descended from heaven, but one day he would ascend where he was before. And so it reminds us that Christ, of his pre-incarnate existence, uh, that, uh, that the ascension is the event by which he is taken back to the place of glory that he had before. And the ascension is important because it marks a transition, uh, uh, one of those transitional events in the saving work of Jesus Christ. It's very good for us to reflect on the death and resurrection of Jesus, but if we stop there, we, we don't have the full picture of things. And I think I hinted at this uh, in, in, in recent messages, but in, in John twenty seventeen, 
Mary Magdalene encounters the risen Lord. And uh, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. This says to me that that really we should not cling to the earthly Jesus uh, in our thoughts. Of course, we need to read and study about his earthly life. That's what the Gospels are for. Um, but we don't, we don't want to be uh, like those who, who only think of Jesus at Christmas. They, they virtually only think of Jesus as being the one in, born and laid in a manger. And that's the extent of their view of him. That's a right view, but it's incomplete. And so we need to focus on Jesus not only as he was, but as he is now. He has ascended, and he is glorified. He is now reigning in majesty as king of kings and lord of lords. Verse 9 says, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. What an event to witness. And, and, and of course, clearly he wanted them to see this. Uh, it, it, it was, in a sense, a staged event uh, that he wanted them to see exactly what happened. You know, if, if Jesus had just disappeared one day, you know, he, he would come and go and meet with them. And what if one day he just didn't ever come back and never said a word? Uh, they would have wondered, where did he go? Did he wander off somewhere? Did he die? Uh, you know, and they would have been confused. But Jesus had them witness this, so they knew uh, that he had gone back to the Father, gone back into heaven. And uh, it, it would have remained as an indelible thing. You and I remember things, uh, you know, events that happen in our lives. Uh, Peter references the transfiguration, the man of transfiguration. He never forgot that. I'm sure he never forgot the ascension also. And uh, Johannes Voss notes that the visibility of Christ's ascension is strongly emphasized in Acts also to avoid the idea that his ascension was only a vision or hallucination or merely a spiritual ascension. Just like with the resurrection, people wanted to say, well, it was just a spiritual resurrection in the minds of the disciples. No, they, they touched him. They handled him. They, they ate with him. They saw him eat. And the same with the ascension, it was not a hallucination, it wasn't a spiritual event, it was a physical event. He was taken up, they saw his body actually rise up from the ground. This is not a normal occurrence, we know this, uh, but he was taken up in a cloud. Now the cloud is, is certainly uh, something for us to think about. Uh, the cloud reminds us of the glory cloud in the Old Covenant as God, uh, his glory, his, the cloud by day and the fire by night, uh, signified his presence with the people as they were wandering in the wilderness. And certainly we do go back to the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John, and Jesus uh, were on a mountain. They were enveloped with the glory cloud. Um, the prophet Daniel predicted this event in Daniel 7, verse 13. He said, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Where is he coming to? 
he came to the ancient of days. He's coming to heaven, into heaven. And they brought him near before him. So Jesus ascended uh, into glory. And it, I like the description that, that Spurgeon gives of this scene, just as he imagined it to happen. He said, how astonished the disciples must have been. Uh, they must have shrunk back as, as majesty flamed out from him. He began to rise and up he went, slowly, majestically rising. And the disciples looking on until he must have grown smaller and smaller to their astonished vision. And when he was about to vanish from their sight, they saw a cloud float between himself and them. And he was gone, gone to his throne. Well, this was the vantage point of the disciples, as, as Spurgeon imagined it. Uh, but have you thought about the vantage point of heaven, the other side, where he was going to? And uh, as he entered it and re-entered the realm of glory above, Psalm 24, I think, as we read it, uh, does have some reference to this. Lift up your heads, O gates. What gates? The gates of heaven. And be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. He enters heaven as a conquering warrior king. Matthew Henry comments that we may apply this to the ascension of Christ into heaven and the welcome given to him there. When he had finished work, his work on earth, he ascended in the clouds of heaven. The gates of heaven must then be opened to him, these doors that may truly be called everlasting, which had been shut against us to guard the way of the tree of life. But Hebrews tells us much about Jesus having gone into heaven. It says we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And, and Hebrews also says in 10... Uh, Verse 20, that he opened a new and living way through the curtain of his flesh into the Holy of Holies. So Christ went there not just for himself, but for us. And we, who are joined to him by faith, have ascended with him and are seated with him even now. Psalm 47, verse 5 says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord, with the sound of the trumpet. And here is the picture of conquest as the conquering king comes back from victory and in, in, in battle. And Jesus is entering heaven. Can you imagine the scene where the risen conquering king returns with the spoils of victory? He has defeated sin. He has defeated death and, and, and the devil himself. And picture the majesty of this one who is indeed Lord and God as well as man. And he enters heaven with a great shout, uh, a thunderous shout, and he's seated on his throne. And he's ruling. Now, this is how we're to think of Jesus now. In verse 10 of our passage, it says, The disciples looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. Um, what? What, what do you think was going through their mind as they looked up? <laughs> it's hard to, you know, we can probably guess some of the thoughts, you know. I mean, they're like, what did we just witness? What just happened? Wow. Uh, he's gone, first of all. Uh, uh, and he's gone into heaven. Uh, and the angels have to step in right away to get them back on track. Uh, they could have probably stared there. They, they, for a long time, they probably thought, well, maybe he's coming right back. 
He's just going up for a minute or two and then coming right back. Uh, maybe they're wanting to peer into heaven itself. Maybe they're thinking they can get a glimpse into glory. Whatever, you know, uh, we can't blame them for being focused on that uh, sight on heaven. Uh, we've all heard the expression that so-and-so's got his head in the clouds. Well, certainly that was true for them at that moment. Verse 10 says, <clears throat> the two men, <clears throat> there were two men who stood by them in white apparel. Most commentators say that these are angels. This is the way Luke refers to angels most often in, in his gospel. And uh, the angels asked the disciples a question. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Well, they could have said, because Jesus just went there. I mean, why wouldn't we be? You know, uh, But remember what Jesus said to them in verse 8. Uh, they were to receive the power of the Spirit and be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the whole world. Okay, There was nothing wrong with them gazing into heaven. But they had a job to do, a task to complete, and that task was given not just to the eleven, but to all believers. And the task is not finished. Uh, there's more work to be done, more people to be reached with the gospel. And so it's good for us to sit around and meditate on heaven and heavenly things, uh, but at the same time, we need to get going and work in the gospel harvest. Uh, I think that if we, the more we meditate on things above, the more motivated we would be to get out and serve the Lord uh, and give, take the gospel to the nations. In fact, the ascension of Christ tells us that he is ruling and reigning now. And so our efforts in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ are backed by his authority and power. And that's what we need to remember uh, in, in our state of fear that we often have. So clearly Christ gave this passage of scripture uh, to us so that we would have knowledge of what happened that day. We weren't there, but we have an eyewitness account. And uh, we, uh, through the word of God, can see what happened on that day when he was taken up into heaven. So for the remainder of the sermon, I want us to look at five implications of the ascension of Jesus Christ for our lives and for, uh, you know, from his word. And, and the first is that Jesus' ascension shows us, teaches us that heaven is a real place. Uh, the ascension was a visible ascent of a real person, human person, uh, who happened to be also divine, from one place to another, from earth to heaven. Uh, Dr. Burkhoff in his work of theology says it was a local transition, a going from place to place. This implies, of course, that heaven is a place as well as as earth. Now, we don't know exactly where that place is. Uh, it's not visible to us. And, you know, God Himself is everywhere, but there is a special place. Isaiah had a vision of God seated on His throne, uh, a place where the angels worship Him, where He manifests His, his holy presence. And uh, it's where Jesus is now, it's where the 
departed saints are now. It's where uh, the angels, uh, all created beings, are there. So it's a place. Uh, it, it takes up space. And uh, Burkhoff says these beings are in all in some way that, you know, Christ, uh, and saints, and angels are all in some way related to space. Only God is above all spatial relations. So heaven is a real place. And the Lord Jesus has gone there, and one day all who believe in him will follow. Secondly, uh, Jesus ascended, uh, we see, to his former glory. Uh, He is fully divine, and he's also fully human. He is one person, two distinct natures. And uh, in terms of his divine nature as God the Son... In John 17, 5, Jesus prayed. He says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory I had with you before the world was. So Jesus came into the world. As I said, his glory was veiled. It was obscured. Uh, but now his divine glory as he ascended into heaven is, is no longer veiled. It's unveiled in heaven. And he is worshipped and glorified there. And certainly his human nature Now, you see, a man in the person of Jesus Christ, his human nature has gone into heaven and been glorified in in, in that way. The Reformation Study Bible says it this way. In terms of his human nature, Christ was glorified as no human had or has since ever been. Third, Jesus ascended to his throne to rule at God's right hand that's an implication it follows from the ascension hebrews 1 3 when he had purged uh, our sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high hebrews 12 2 jesus endured the cross despising the shame and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of god this was a promise uh, an ancient promise from uh, that David would have one day one of his sons to sit on his throne, on the throne of God forever. And from this throne he is now ruling until all enemies are put under his feet. You know, the book of Revelation has some very descriptive uh, ways of talking about the risen, ascended Lord. In chapter 19 it pictures him as riding on a white horse in righteousness, judging and making war. That his eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head he has uh, 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 many crowns. And he has armies that are following him. He has a sharp two-edged sword that is coming out of his mouth. And with it he would strike the nations and rule over them with a rod of iron. So the picture of the ascended Jesus Christ is not one of meekness and lowliness anymore. It's one of almighty power and of great victory over his enemies. And so uh, Jesus taught the disciples, uh, we see in our passage, that soon they would receive power when the Holy Spirit had come on them and they would be witnesses. Um, And he told the disciples in Matthew that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What's the implication? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Because he rules over all things from heaven 
because he is the captain of all the armies of God, which we are a part of, then he is able to secure the success of the gospel, the salvation of his people. Fourth, Jesus ascended into heaven that he might send the Holy Spirit. You're probably familiar with John 16, 7, where Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, at that time, I'm sure the disciples, uh, that it was difficult for them to really be convinced that it was to their advantage that Jesus leave them. They did not want him to leave them. That's why Jesus had to say in John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Um, You know, believe in God, believe in me. I'm going to my Father, preparing a place for you. I'll come back for you, and so on. So uh, it's your advantage I go away because mainly I'm going to send you the Helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, God's people uh, uh, had the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant. Uh, He had always been present with them. But when Christ secured this victory in the fullness uh, of the New Covenant, then the Spirit of God was poured out in a fullness uh, that it could be compared to, to, in the Old Testament, sprinklings. But in the New Testament, a fountain is opened and water is gushing and pouring out. The Spirit of God has been poured out so that all believers now can be filled with the Spirit. Imagine that. The Spirit of God indwelling and filling each and every individual empowered to proclaim the gospel to the world, and as more and more people are converted to Christ and indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you see what that does is fills the earth with His presence. Do not underestimate the fact that you as a believer are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and that wherever you go, you take the presence of God with you. Uh, your light is shining uh, and, and God's power is going to be manifest, particularly as you Humble yourself and seek the Lord each day and ask him uh, to fill you with his spirit. So uh, Charles Hodge writes this. He said, the great blessing which the prophets predicted as characteristic of the messianic period was the effusion of the Holy Spirit to secure the blessing. This blessing for the church, the ascension was necessary. So Christ ascended. What does that mean? The effusion of the Spirit has now been poured out. The Spirit is dwelling in you. And so each and every believer is a point of light, a point of power, and of God's presence in the world. And then finally, a fifth implication uh, from the ascension of Christ is that Jesus ascended that he might serve in heaven as our great high priest. That he ascended in order to carry out this ministry. Ahad said it was necessary that as our high priest, he should, after offering himself as a sacrifice, pass through the heavens to appear before God on our behalf. Uh, So when Christ gave himself as a sacrifice for us on the cross, uh, that, that did secure our salvation. But... He presents the merits of that sacrifice in heaven on our behalf. You know, under the old covenant, the the victim, the animal was slain outside, uh, and then the blood brought in to the Holy of Holies and sprinkled there on the mercy seat. 
And, and what the high priest did in the earthly tabernacle, uh, Jesus di- does in the heavenly tabernacle. Hebrews 9.12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. In addition, he, of course, makes continual intercession for us at the right hand of God. There are really uh, numerous benefits and, and uh, applications for us of the ascension. Uh, there is on your bulletin uh, mentioned there of the larger catechism question. And it says, how was Christ exalted in his ascension? Question 53. He was exalted in his ascension in that having... Uh, after his resurrection, often appeared unto and conversed with his apostles, speaking to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God and giving them commission to preach the gospel to all nations. Forty days after his resurrection, he in our nature and as our head, triumphing over enemies, visibly went up into the highest heavens. Okay, and, and here's the, the, the implication. They're that they bring out there to receive gifts for men. So that's another thing we could talk about, that he ascended in order to give gifts, uh, the gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, and and n- not only that, but he ascended so that he might raise our affections there to heaven, thither, and to prepare a place for us uh, where he himself is and shall continue till his second coming at the end of the world. So we need to set our mind on things above. That's what Colossians tells us to do because Christ has ascended and is now there. So where are your affections? Where is your treasure? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also and vice versa. So we need to set our heart, our mind on things above. We need to remember that he's preparing a place for us. We don't need to worry. We, if we lose everything in this life, we will only have a better place uh, in heaven. And we should be seeking his power uh, to witness. This is the theme of the Sunday school message today. Uh, and the great Scottish reformer John Knox was asked one time, what is the secret to the Reformation in Scotland? You know, and, and here's what he said. He said that God gave his Holy Spirit to simple men in great abundance. God gave his Holy Spirit to simple men in great abundance. You know, what are we? We're just simple people. Um, but if God would give his Spirit in great abundance, and now he has ascended, he has given us the Spirit, And he certainly is able to do that. He's done it before. He did it on the day of Pentecost. He did it in Scotland with the Reformation and at many different times of revival in the history of his church. And so may the Lord give us his spirit in abundance in this church and in this land that we might see another Reformation, a new Reformation in our day. Uh, May we live in the experience of the risen, ascended Christ. And may we live from His fullness. Let's pray together.